0: Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.
1: Come see The Boutique on Central in downtown Laurel for the best deals in women's fine clothing. Let us complete your one-of-a-kind look at The Boutique on Central at 531 Central Avenue in downtown Laurel.
2: Howdy, howdy. It's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi.
3: Everyone and welcome to midday super talk Mississippi. I am your host Gerard Gibbard, along with Rhino in the Element Well Studio, guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music. It is day number two of the week, the final one in the month of November. And then the clock moves on to the final month of the year, 2023. The big question for you, my good friend Rhino, is did you take advantage of Cyber Monday sales? I think I got four, or 5,000 emails yesterday, uh, including and in announcing the various deals that could be had on Cyber Monday.
2: Did you? I didn't buy a thing.
3: <laughs> well... Americans were predicted to spend $12 billion yesterday. I haven't seen final numbers yet.
2: I just didn't contribute.
3: Did not contribute. Did not participate. (laughs) Did not participate. The Dow up today, it started out kind of around the unchanged line, dwindled downward, now in the green. It turns out that shoppers on Black Friday spent $9.8 billion online. And then yesterday, it was expected to be 12 Overall, those who predict that sort of stuff for a living say, we're going to spend $37 billion over the holiday shopping week. Interesting. One thing I have noticed, and I got this one wrong, and I'll admit it, is that the price of gas, you've seen it, it has fallen. Most of the signs around town have a two-handle in front of them now. In fact, I'm seeing the the lowest grade of regular in the 250 range, 2.50 or so per gallon. That is because the price of oil has dropped, and uh, Saudi Arabia apparently is struggling economically, and they're trying to sell more oil to produce more revenue, and thus they've consequently dropped the price. So I'd say that's good news for the travel season. I really thought, based on the trajectory we were on and the turmoil in the Middle East, that we might see 100 bucks a barrel. And I'm not alone in that prediction. That was a couple of months ago, but I, I missed it. On that one. Now, it's still time. Something could happen, of course. But right now, it's trending in the downward direction. And uh, so that's, that's actually good news. And it's good news to President Biden, the Biden administration. However, I did catch an article, a little surprised at this, published in the USA Today authored by Ingrid Jacques. The title of the article, Earth to Democrats, Biden Presidency is a Dumpster Fire. How many warning signs do you need? And this writer took note as well that, uh, as we did about his birthday cake last week. She says, does Ms. Jacques perhaps... The S may be silent on the end, right? I'm not sure, because in a proper name, it could go either way.
2: J-A-Q-U-E-S. What if the J is pronounced Yuh? I don't know. What if it's Yuck?
3: It could be. I don't know. Nonetheless, perhaps nothing illustrates Joe Biden's presidency better than a photo his team posted to celebrate his 81st birthday on Monday, Biden is shown gripping the sides of the table while a mass of candles, presumably 81 of them representing each year that he's had a birthday, rages, <laughs> rages on the cake in front of him. It's symbolic of how he's clinging to the hope of winning a second term, regardless of the dumpster fire. Wow of his low approval ratings and the dissatisfaction among the the American people with his job performance. Golly, and I'm looking <laughs> at a still photo. I've only seen a video of it, which is pretty short, but I'm looking at a still photo. It is incredible. I mean, literally, the, <laughs> the flames on that cake. It lo- doesn't look like a cake. It just looks like a ball of fire coming out of a pot or something underneath it. Looks like the fondue caught fire. That's exactly
2: right. Somebody put the fondue out. <laughs> you just need a little bit more icing real estate for that number of cam- candles. I mean, it's, you, you can't put 81 on the little $10 round cake from the grocery store. That's right you need at least the sheet cake to fit 81 and not have it look like it's engulfed. Because that's, that's the other thing, when you get that many candles that close together and they burn that brightly, you can't eat the icing on the top. You literally just made a wax coating layer on the top of that cake. Well, if you had a properly formatted sheet cake, it would
3: extend the length of the entire table that he's sitting at. I, I mean... I, it's just, why would you do that? Why would you that? So we're I mean, saying they make here the talking. little
2: number candles. <laughs>
3: exactly. I I don't get it. May, are they trying to say, hey, pay no attention to this guy's age? And there's no disrespect. You know, we we're, we're all we hope we all live to that age. Honestly,
2: and in his case, he's living
3: to live to that age and got years in front of him.
2: Just so it just it shows how slapdash the whole administration is. Yeah, I agree. They're not forward-thinking. They're very reactionary, and that's a perfect example. Like, something as simple as, did somebody order the cake? What what kind of cake do we get for the big guy? (laughs) How many candles we got? We got to put that many on this? All right.
3: Yeah, well, exactly. So I I don't think it was a smart move from a PR perspective, certainly approaching an election year, but the, the author... Ms. Jacques, or whatever the correct pronunciation is, we don't know. A recent uh, poll, she goes on to say, in Michigan, conducted by Epic-MRA, found that Trump leads Biden by 46 to 41 percent. That is a key, key swing state, and I submit it's Michigan and Pennsylvania that really won the election for Donald Trump. 2016, totally unexpected. polls were neck and neck, the latest polls in 16 right up to election day. So there was certainly a possibility mainly because Hillary's her popularity was waning and she sort of disappeared there in the final days of the election. But
2: well she didn't want to answer questions about being manhandled in the back of a van after fainting <laughs> on her feet and then not talking about it. I do think that was key. That incident, I that was really, a big swing. That was a big deal. I totally agree with you, but because you had a lot of people that were in the middle or riding the fence, going, "I don't know if I could vote for Trump," going, "Don't want to vote for that." Yeah, I totally agree. He just uh, obviously
3: projected way more energetic, invigorated. Uh, but the poll is now uh, shows that Trump leads Biden forty six to forty one. Just a couple of months ago, in August, same firm showed Biden with a 46-45 to lead. So that's uh, been a turnaround there. You know, something else, just thinking about the contrast between Donald Trump as a candidate and Joe Biden, if you guys saw Trump at the Clemson-South Carolina game in Nikki Haley's home state, I mean, you have to give it to the guy. He's 77 out there. uh, midfield, I mean, wasn't walking like, you know, putting one foot in front of the other at about three inches at a time. Didn't stumble. You know, wasn't crouched. Had his shoulders back. Something to be said for that. I mean, it, he certainly looks like an energetic, invigorated, cogent, 77 years old. And 77-year-old. And the president just doesn't. He actually looks relatively old even for 81 compared to others at that age that uh, just don't seem to project quite that way. It it doesn't help his situation that he he has stumbled. He's had some issues, uh, numerous, not just one, but numerous. And then more importantly, it's just the alphabet soup when he speaks is more concerning to me than the little... The little physical mishaps. So those are concerns, and I think that's playing out in the polls at this point. We're in the Element Well Studio today. Shay Walker, co-founder and CEO of JumpStart Test Prep at eleven oh five. It is runoff day. Runoff day. We got a few races going on today, and so. Secretary of State Michael Watson will call in at 1205 and give us an update from across the Magnolia State as it pertains to these runoff uh, races. We're coming right back once again in the Element Well Studio. Welcome back, everyone. It's midday, Super Talk Mississippi. We're in the Element Well Studio. You guys know who the Secretary of Education is. That would be Miguel Cardona. And so he, uh, he was at an event where he decided to Repeat a famous quote from former President Ronald Reagan.
4: You know, we're going to set up follow-up calls with every governor we met with to make sure we're available. Um, As uh, I think it was President Reagan said, we're from the government.
3: We're here to help. Um, And so with a straight face, this guy who leaves out The context, isn't that what the left always tells us? you got to contextualize that. He failed to contextualize President Reagan's now famous quip. It's uh, not now famous, it's been famous since the first time he ever enunciated it. But here's the full quote from President Reagan. Yeah, from
2: August 12th, 1986. The nine most terrifying words in the English language are I'm from the government, and I'm here to help. (laughs) What happened in
3: the translation there with Secretary Miguel Cardona? Because you could tell by his tone of voice, he was dead serious. We're here to help you. He completely missed it. That is unbelievable.
2: unbelievable. He's in charge of education.
3: Oh, that's so comforting to know. I am I, shocked, honestly. Appreciate you digging it that up there, uh, Rhino. And the and the clip you sent that you played there was was carried live, I believe, on C-SPAN. Right? I can see the C-SPAN logo on there. Education Secretary Miguel Cardona, unbelievable. Carl on the c spire text line says in Columbus, still three bucks a gallon. I bet it's coming down though, Carl. Uh, that's that's probably some old inventory because it is very volatile and moving rapidly. That is the price of oil. But it, it's declining. 245 in Ridgeland up from last week's 238 Yeah, it, it did uh, tick up a couple of bucks. Um, that's on the c tax line as well. And then kind of hanging around the $70, 72 mark. But bottom line is it, I don't think we're going to see 100 by the end of the year. And I really thought that when we saw it uh, move up to the close to 90 mark, maybe even cross the $90 threshold. But uh, I really felt like at that point, yeah, I don't think there's any stopping it. Because OPEC, as you recall, said, yeah, we're going to cut down on production, even when Biden went and pleaded with him, please make more. I guess the oil over there is not polluted, right? Right. That's, that's what we're told. And, and also went with hat in hand to Venezuela, another nation that produces fair amount of crude oil. But my understanding is it's, it's a dirty grade of crude oil, so we, we can't produce it here where it's cleaner and where our, our um, systems and our processes are way more respectful of the environment than nations like Venezuela, essentially socialist, looking to cut every dang corner to try to make ends meet. No, we go beg them to produce oil. That's just upside down, in my view. But that's where we are. Nonetheless, you still have to accept and acknowledge it's good news. Now, I personally believe if the Biden administration, and I'm not alone in this thought, would back off the energy industry constantly focusing on climate change and declaring that we just gotta put these fossil fuels industry out of business and states busy passing laws banning prohibiting the use of natural gas, et cetera, et cetera. If he just get off the neck of the American energy industry and let them do what they do and and restart construction and complete the pipeline that uh, from Canada, I think we would see a significant increase in the production of oil and thus the decrease of the price of gas at the pump. But as long as he continues to stand on the idea and promote and more importantly enact regulation that pretty much makes it difficult, even though we are producing more, we would be producing a whole lot more, I believe, if he just back off. But he doesn't see fit to do that. Again, the three underlying pillars of the Democrat Party, climate, race, and gender. Climate is absolutely woven into every policy. Even, Even when talking about the situation in Hamas, we, we see mentions of climate. It's incredible. That,
2: well, that's because uh, it's the same whack jobs that want to protest climate, also want to be the loudest at the, at the pro-Palestinian, pro-Hamas, anti-Israel rallies. Seems like it. It's almost like they only care about the attention. They don't really give a rat's rear end about the call. I think that's spot on. And, and whatever the cause of the day
3: is that will garner them attention, they're down for it for the most part. And it's, it's, um, it's sickening, honestly. I saw where a Jewish professor, a Jewish professor at University of Southern California, economics professor, he approached a group of protesters at the school who were calling for a ceasefire in Gaza. These were pro-Palestinian protesters and were holding memorials for the Palestinians killed in the conflict. And this Jewish professor made some anti-Hamas comments that, of course, were captured on video and then distributed. And basically, he said, quote, Hamas are murderers. That's all they are. Everyone should be killed, and I hope they are all killed. Now, note, he didn't say Palestinians. He's talking about, by proxy, essentially, these Hamas savages, these monsters, who now we're seeing the release of the hostages. What kind of monster uses a three-month-old baby as a human shield for... Their, their war efforts, essentially, what kind of human does that? You're not. You're subhuman. And that's what these protesters are standing behind? I, I can't comprehend it. So Professor Strauss, again, specifically referred to those who were engaged in murder of civilians in this case. He didn't say Palestinians. There is a clear distinction.
2: Why is he dismissed? I mean, that distinction gets muddied when Palestinians elect Hamas to represent them in government.
3: Agree. I totally agree.
2: But yes, it is Hamas that are the terrorists. Uh, You can't paint with the broad brush that Palestinians are terrorists, but Hamas are terrorists. No doubt about it. And so,
3: but it does, again point out illustrate that there's a clear double standard and i i, I don't think jewish people i, I guess they they're not dark enough or something is the problem but he's been put on administrative leave and i i, I find that unwarranted and frankly unfair because I don't have any proof of this or examples, but I feel like well, you know that there are professors that are taking the side of, of Hamas and Palestinians and and it's okay to say what is what is it they say, from the something to the sea?
2: From the river to from the,
3: the, the river sea. to the sea, yeah. Um and does that not call for Essentially the eradication of the entire nation of Israel? It's a genocidal mantra, yes. And that's okay? You can say that as a professor?
2: If you're a useful idiot.
3: <laughs> With impunity.
2: But you say that you call for essentially... You're either the... willfully ignorant in that position, or you're a bloodthirsty psychopath. Uh, you, I... could, you could be both, but usually it's one or the other.
3: I, I just don't... I don't see how one is acceptable and the other is not. I, I mean, you're right. There's, it's calling for a genocide of an, of, an, of an entire nation, an entire people, an entire ethnicity, essentially. I don't get it. And that's, that's perfectly fine, but calling for the essentially the extermination of people who savagely, brutally murder civilians and take babies as human shields, that gets you put on administrative leave. That makes no sense. We're coming It also gets right back. you
2: three to one in hostage negotiations. That's true. We're coming right back, folks, in
3: the Element Well studio.
2: Attention, adoring fans! It's time for
0: Middays with Gerard Gibbert. On Super Talk, Mississippi.
1: The Diablo Motors had a hell of a sale downtown yesterday. Work got around, no money down, take years and years to pay. When I got there, the
2: lot was paid.
3: Today, of course, is Giving home. Tuesday. So, you know, the. you certainly have to acknowledge the power of our digital world because anybody that I've ever donated to, I mean, even if it's five bucks, I don't know if I've ever donated just five bucks to any cause, but anybody, of course, you constantly get Solicitations. I shouldn't say constantly. Occasionally get solicitations. I mean, that's that's normal. You're in their their mailing list. But on Giving Tuesday, man, it's unbelievable all of the communications that uh, folks are receiving. But hats off to them. That's that's how they raise money. And this is a big uh, big day. And a lot a lot of these organizations will like have someone some. Uh, donor who will perhaps match some or all of your your donation, but it's it's big deal. It's a big day, Giving Tuesday today. There are plenty of great uh, organizations in the state of Mississippi that would certainly be worthy of your consideration to donate today if you feel feel uh, inspired to do so. One of those, of course, Rhino, you and I know well is Palmer Home. That, as you guys know, is one that uh, this company and and this network works with quite a bit, the Radiothon, every year. So they're one of them, but there are plenty. I'm looking at an article from Investopedia. And they, they publish an email every day, Rhino, called Term of the Day. And it is what it, the name of the organization implies, Investopedia. It's kind of an encyclopedia for everything investment and finance. Well, the term of the day is Giving Tuesday. Just like yesterday, it was Cyber Monday. And they do a good job of providing the, the history, the historical context of the word of the day. And it apparently, it was created in 2012, according to Investopedia, as a joint project between New York City's 92nd Street Y and the United Nations. Well, there you go. So you have Black Friday, followed by Cyber Monday, and then now today, it is Giving Tuesday. So... There you go. Can't forget Shop Small Saturday. That's correct. Thank you for uh, informing our audience of that. On the C Spire text line, Gary in the Berg asks, how many gallons per day would be flowing through the Keystone Pipeline now? 900,000, Gary, is what the capacity was expected to be. That's in
2: barrels, though.
3: In barrels, right. Oh, he said gallons. My bad. You're right. So it's That'd like be barrels.
2: 35 to 40 million bar- or gallons yeah. per day. What is it,
3: 53, 55 Something gallons like in a barrel? I know somebody out there knows the answer to that. But nonetheless, just for, uh, again, for context, <laughs> Gary, we consume about 19 million a day. So 900,000 near a million, uh, roughly 5%, is significant, honestly, when you consider the the scope of that. So, yeah, we certainly could have benefited from that, but Joe Biden, it was one of his first things, was it not, Rhino, to shut that thing down?
2: No, nope, we're not doing that anymore. And the environmentalists would try to add context of, well, they're, they're just pulling dirty crude from the tar sands of Alberta, and it's going to have to be shipped out of country. To It's adding 40 million gallons to the economy that's a global economy in a day. Right. It was going to be
3: transported via pipeline straight to the center of the inter- energy universe, which is Houston, Texas, in that area, t- for refining into usable fuel. We missed out on that because, of Joe, you add another 900,000 uh, barrels to current uh, global daily production, that's significant. That would have made a difference. And the best 42 part... 42
2: gallons per barrel.
3: Okay. Well, I suspect they're different-sized barrels, wouldn't you think?
2: I I mean, it's a standard barrel when you're talking about oil. Okay. But, yes, there are different-sized barrels.
3: Well, nonetheless, um, that's a good question, Gary. Certainly, we could have benefited from that. We'd have had more supply than we presently have. And that's the point I, I always try to make to those on the left who say, well, we're producing more oil than ever since Biden has been in office. It is true. That is absolutely true. It's just that it, it falls short of where we could have been. That never seems to enter into the conversation. It's just like when Joe Biden goes to the nation and and all of his surrogates and and uh, his his inner circle who say, "Well, under Biden, inflation's coming down." No, inflation's not down. The rate at which it is increasing is down. There's a difference, and I know that gets into really high order math for. Some people, it shouldn't, of course. And some people, I mean, those who want us to buy that nonsense.
2: The ones who had a difficult time understanding which way the alligator mouth ate in greater than or less than. (laughs) That's right.
3: Oh, gosh. Uh, Biden's cake contributed to global warming, warming, says Gary in the Berg, as well. 42 gallons per barrel on the ceasefire tax line, as Rhino said, appreciate that. We need to refill the strategic oil reserves while the price is low. I guess I agree, but the question is, is it going lower? You know, when's the right time to do that? Uh, But that, of course, was Biden's rather feeble attempt for six months or something to uh, increase supply and that, that was, I think, just in response to everybody griping. Hey, the price of gas is ridiculous. Joe Biden, do something about it. And rather than doing the right thing, which is okay, let's let the Keystone Pipeline get completed and let's signal to the energy industry we're gonna we're we're gonna take the uh, the foot off the gas here. Please go do what you do and produce more oil. No, he said. Well, we're just gonna take it out of our reserves, which are. Uh, in place to, to uh, protect us, frankly, if there should be some disruption of the production of oil and fuel, and we need it to power our military. That's the primary purpose of it, honestly.
2: Uh, well, the problem with this whole conversation is we're talking about results, and that's not the language that you have to speak to somebody like Biden with. you got to talk in terms of political power and gain. Yeah, So you got to couch it in terms like you've already lost the whack job vote with your stance on Israel versus Hamas. That's true. They're the same people that were up in arms about Keystone and all this green crap. So maybe since you know you've already ticked them off, you could do something to gain a little power from the middle. It's,
3: It's unfortunate, though, and I think the American people are totally sick of it, that everything always gets reduced down to politics political power the next election cycle rather than just what's in the best interest of the people and and i think americans clearly see that and they're they're sick of it they're frustrated with it and it does happen on a smaller scale as well i would say in um in state government but it certainly happens in federal government, and it's uh, it's a shame. Uh, I wish they would just focus on what's just the right thing uh, for the people. Let's see, what did he re- release? 60 million barrels, it seems like, from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, as I recall. I'm not sure if that was in one release or multiple, but it seems like the initial announcement a couple of years ago about this time a couple of years ago, and then he came back in 22, I believe, and announced an, adi- an additional release, and it was all in an effort to lower gas prices, 15, 20 million, something like that, as I recall. So we um, we shall see where all that goes, but I, I do think that it would it would certainly benefit Mr. Biden If the price of oil continues to fall, and thus the price of gas, and if in some way that figures into the rate of inflation, that certainly could uh, be of some uh, political benefit to him next year, but I don't think that's going to overcome the fundamental concern about just his age and his cognitive ability. I think that's weighing down his chances more than anything. I really do. So, uh, but we are at a break point here on middays. Don't forget we got Shay Walker coming out or coming on the program, pardon me, at eleven oh five, co founder and CEO of Jumpstart Test Prep. Michael Watson, Secretary of State, is gonna join us at twelve oh five with an update on the uh, the runoff elections today stay with us we're in the element well studio Everyone, it's midday's. So, as I recall, just thinking about this um, strategic petroleum reserve, the plan was thirty. I'm recalling it now: thirty million per month for six months, total of 180. I think it uh, the capacity's like 550, something like that. And I just checked it's even it. more than that. Well, um, well, you're right. What it contained. Right. At the time he started releasing, was $550. It can, uh, it can hold more. It's got a higher capacity than that. So that was a, unnecessary and really just a, a, an ill-advised move, totally, in, in my view. And it, did anybody really notice how that changed the price of gas? I don't think so. I think people still believe that Joe Biden is the reason... Gas is higher now than it was when he took office. When Trump left office,
2: contextualize it into your own home budget. Would you rather dip into savings or pick up an extra shift? Yeah. What's better in the long term? Yeah, that's right.
3: It's it's a good way to put it. Uh, But more importantly, are are you not putting uh, uh, just the nation at risk? Well, sure you are. I mean, the whole purpose of that oil being stored, being reserved, as the name suggests, is if there's some sort of disruption to the conventional supply chains, and you can't power the military. And th- this all started by the way back in World War II. In World War II, it was thought that whoever's got the oil is going to win the thing. Pretty much what happened? The Germans ran out of oil and, and fuel. And uh, that's when the Original reserve was commissioned back in World War II. And that, it was in California. I, I've talked about that. I've worked there. Elk Hills, California. Salt domes underneath in the in the uh, desert there. Kern County. Unbelievable. It was a military installation. Uh, but that was just all an effort to try to push the price down, and I don't think that really made a difference that anybody noticed the best thing he could do is just, again, get out of the way of the energy industry and let them do what they're so good at, which is producing energy. But when you're so ideologically attached, I mean genuflecting at the altar of climate change,
0: I to don't To the point you won't
2: even acknowledge the existence of the greenest energy there is, nuclear. That's true. That's totally true.
3: Tony in uh, Columbia says about 20 gallons of gasoline and 12 gallons of diesel can be made from one barrel of crude oil once it's refined and I guess you strip all the other uh, sort of contaminants or whatever is is not needed and can't be used in the production of usable fuel. Appreciate that, uh, Tony. I think that jives with the math you did as well, right? All you need is a new gas station open. He said he won't be undersold. 244 in Greenwood now, says Derek in Greenwood. Uh, Glenn Antizzo shared on Gallo this morning 33% of people under 30 get their info from TikTok. That would explain a lot of these college students and young adults supporting Hamas that they are mistaking for Palestinians. That's uh, William and Brandon. Reports that on the ceasefire text line. I think that's a good point. I've seen the same, William. That that uh, the generation of today pretty much consumes their news from their mobile devices and from these social media platforms, chief of which is TikTok and Instagram to some extent. The favorites of uh, that age group. I agree. That is a problem. They need to tune into the show to hear the truth. <laughs> I wish Joe Biden would stop helping the American people on the ceasefire tax line, referring to – I'm just shocked at this. I'm glad you sent that to me, Secretary of Education Miguel Cardona, who quoted Ronald Reagan, who was actually mocking the government when he said, you know, it was President Reagan who said, uh, we're, we're from the government, we're here to help, and he said it in such a sincere sort of tone of voice, we really are, we're here to help. No, what Reagan was trying to say is say is every time the government shows up, tells you they're here to help, you should be, using his words, terrified. <laughs> He's so right. I agree with you there on the ceasefire text line. Uh, they, we'd be better off if they quit trying to help us and just stick to what the Constitution says they're supposed to do. Unbelievable. I wish new album covers were as incredible as those yes album covers, says Charles and Matheson. <laughs> Unbelievable. Well, it's time for a break here. Top of the hour, in fact. That means Fox News, Super Talk News coming your way. I'm looking at the Dow, it's up now to 170 170 got to check it, the news out see what's driving it upward it's good news though but after the news break we come back with Shay Walker co-founder and CEO Jumpstart Test Prep please stay with us Welcome back, everyone. Hour two of midday's. We are live in the Element Well Studio. We thank you so much for joining us today. We're in the studio all week. This week, Rhino. Our schedule does not include any remotes, so we're going to be here with you, Shay Walker, co-founder and CEO, JumpStart Test Prep. Now in the Element Well Studio, Shay. Good to see you. Good to see you, Gerard. So, uh, you know, I was just thinking about <laughs> when I took the ACT, which was a long time ago. Uh, there really wasn't any sort of aids that I could recall. I don't remember any tools that you could use to try to prep you and help you make a better score on the ACT. And as time has gone on, and I know you're going to explain this, the score one makes has become uh, more valuable. A high score could be used for uh, lots of value. Admissions, of course, uh, scholarships, And uh, there may be some other sort of aggregate benefit, right, to the state, a school district, uh, et cetera. But I I don't remember having tools available back in those days. You just kind of had to wing it and show
1: up and do your best.
3: Well, uh, there were
1: tools then, okay. uh, believe it or not. That's Uh, a long time ago. It was a long time ago. I uh, (laughs) think the first uh, company that really made a name for itself in the prep-type business was Kaplan.
3: Okay. Uh, found, yeah, very it, familiar with him. Uh, yeah.
1: Robert Kaplan's yeah. Uh, deal, and uh, I think he was out of Chicago. And uh, he had an act for helping students perform better on the uh, ACT as well as the SAT. So it's been roughly the same test plan, test format uh, since the 50s, late wow. 50s. So um, there's been a few changes along the way. Um, mostly, I've seen with the SAT. Uh, SAT has never had science uh, on their test plan, their test blueprint, and uh, hmm. they've they've changed the SAT format because you used to be penalized if you got a question wrong. You would back up uh, and score, and they changed that a few years ago and, and now you're not penalized for guessing. Uh, you, you need to answer all SAT questions and you don't back up if you get it wrong. Uh, there's fewer uh, answer choices. So multiple choice questions, there's four on the SAT. On the S- ACT, there's five. So actually, the ACT has become a little more stringent um, okay. in, in perspective. but Interesting.
3: Well, uh, so t- tell us about the
1: company. When did you start the company? Well, uh, I, I, I'm a parent. Uh, I had a background in test prep. I worked for a company called uh, Hearst Review Services uh, out of Brookhaven that was founded by one Educator and her novel approach to helping students pass the NCLEX exam. Okay, which is the state nursing. Uh, all states have the same tests. It's called the NCLEX. You're not going to practice nursing even if you make stellar grades in your nursing program until you pass that test. Okay, and uh, it's a safety test. I've learned it's it's more about are you going to kill somebody on your first day on the job? Sure. Uh, so it, it, it's making sure that you understand. Uh, nursing content the way that that needs to be practiced and she had a great and still a a wonderful prep program for passing the NCLEX. She learned to review four years of nursing content in a roughly 24-hour time frame uh, in a short time frame before you go and take the NCLEX which was making a, a Uh, Helping students make a major improvement over uh, first attempt success rate on the NCLEX. Wow! So she touts a over ninety eight percent success rate uh, if you take her course and uh, worked there for eight years and helped her take the company nationwide now it's taken a lot of Kaplan's market share I think it's nationally known as the preferred way to prepare for the NCLEX exam and it's right there in Brookhaven. How about that? So uh, that was my background and uh, along comes my daughter and she had taken the ACT six times she had done the prep class at school and I bought her a Princeton Review book, and I remember practice tests that she worked on. But she, you know, through six attempts, she had gone from a twenty to a twenty-four. Uh, and we wound up at Ole Miss orientation, and I was—I tell everybody—I was pissed off that day. <laughs> I'm a bulldog. I wanted to be—I wanted to be in Starville, but we, there we were in Oxford, and. Uh, you know, at the orientation, they said 24 was good enough for a $500 a semester academic scholarship, but every point after that was essentially another 500 a semester. And uh, I looked at my wife, and I was like, we we got to try this one more time. I had no idea. And they said that this is the last month she can ever submit a score um, as an entering freshman for scholarship purposes. So my wife got her on her phone, signed her up, paid the late fee, the walk-in fee to take the ACT one more time the following Saturday. So we came back to Brookhaven, and on the drive, uh, calling everybody I knew who can help my daughter. And I didn't know Dot McClendon. I have born and raised, uh, lived my whole life in Brookhaven, never never crossed paths with her. But 55-year educator, 40 years in ACT prep, and everybody said the same name when we talked. And so I called her up, and she said, well, good news for you. Uh, I still teach at the Mississippi School of the Arts. We have uh, the second-highest ACT scores in the state. I'm going to do a review starting tomorrow, and it's going to be intense. It's six hours a day. It's four days of content review. We're going to review the content, the time practice, tips and strategies, uh, and if she comes to my class, I'm going to move her. And I'm thinking, well, if you move her a point, you save me two grand off tuition. Yeah, we're in. So my daughter went to the class, took the ACT that Saturday. She moved five points in math, five in science, three in English, three in reading, over her best six prior attempts. Wow. So moved her up to 27, saved me a fortune uh, on tuition. <laughs> and, and I went to my daughter and said, what did y'all cover in 24 hours that can make this kind of difference in your score? Yeah, And what she said next really started the company because uh, she told me, Dad, Dot started reviewing things I haven't seen since the eighth grade. And it really let me know that my senior was so far down the line from the content that's really being tested Uh, most of the content that there was no way for her to do her best without a complete review okay and so I went to dot and told her about my background told her you know obviously she had forgotten more about the ACT than most people ever know we could take what she knows about this and how to get students ready and make it available online so that teachers everywhere could leverage it in the classroom Uh, parents could buy it like me uh, yeah and and put it in play to help uh, to help students perform better and uh, that's that's where it got its start. And that was, uh, you know, two years of just product development before we really ever sold anything and testing um, to in, to prove our, our our product out. And uh, it's uh, it took off, and so now we're in probably 150 schools in seven states where uh, parents buy this. You can buy it all cart. You can buy one subject if it's what you need okay. help with, and. Um, We've got a cool calculator. that's free on our website. Uh, it's JumpStartTestPrep.com. But every parent that calls us, uh, we point them to this calculator because we, we were we were asked the same question by every parent: where where should I where should my child focus their attention to get the improvement the gain that we want? And uh, so the calculator that we built hmm. will calculate the super score. So. ACT will do that for you, Gerard. If you hmm. t- if you've taken the ACT four times, you you put all of your scores in. and It calculates your super score. It takes the best score of the four subsets: English, reading, math, science, and it gives you your super score. Well, colleges accept the super score now for scholarship purposes. Okay. I didn't know that. But the calculator will go one step further for your student. Once that data is entered, um, the student can then change the super score to their goal. So let's say I entered my four attempts and it it gives me a super score of 25 and I move that over to 30. I want that to be my goal. It it automatically evenly distributes the gains you need to see in all four subject areas to pull that goal off. But then the student can look at it and say, you know, I'm not going to move any more math. And they can adjust math back down to their prior best score and when they do, it raises what they need to get in the other three subject areas to get the goal. So they continue adjusting this until they feel comfortable um, with with what the calculator is saying. They need to score in all four subject areas and then they hit one button and it it predicts for them the number of additional questions they need to get correct in every subject area to pull the goal off. Okay So it's the first step of motivation. When your student sees out of 60 questions That's on a lot the math better test, than
3: the old Kaplan. Uh, books,
1: yeah, which well, is all we had back then. If if your student is saying, "I don't think I can improve. I don't think I can get do yeah. better," when they see that all they need to get is four or five more questions right out of sixty in math to yeah. pull their goal off, yeah. that's the first step. Yeah, oh, I can sense. do this. Yeah. I can do it. So, so uh, I.
3: Right, so where do you learn more
1: about it? Oh, on our website, JumpStartTestPrep.com, and uh, it, it just. It's no mystery to me why it works. If you review the content that's going to be on the test in a near time frame to test day, you're going to score better. Unbelievable. So we've gone into, uh, you know, I don't know if you know or hear the talk about work keys uh, in the state, but the state is looking at implementing work keys assessment, a job skill assessment statewide to all of our students in public schools, and we've got a great prep for that as well. There's Three subject areas there that are tested graphic literacy, workplace documents, and applied math. And if you think about it, these kids in high school are our emerging workforce. They've never seen a workplace document. Yeah, There's no way they can perform true. their best on this without hmm. realistic time practice. So wow. got got some great prep there too, but uh, cool
3: stuff. Appreciate you coming on, Shay. Really good stuff. Once again, it's jumpstartprep.com. Learn everything you need to know right there. Jumpstarttestprep.com. Test prep. Pardon <laughs> me, I didn't read the whole thing. Thank you. I'll do it again in the next save. Appreciate you coming on, Shay. Thanks.
0: And now the talk that keeps mississippi talking out. 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 On to the real part dino Mike. on super talk mississippi <laughs>
3: Welcome back, everyone. It's midday. Super Talk Mississippi. So uh, we brought Shay back. Shay Walker, co-founder and CEO Jumpstart Test Prep, and that too is the uh, URL for the website. So there's something that's a bit unique about the state of Mississippi and and uh, how the ACT is is handled there. Talk about that, Shay.
1: Well, uh, students in this state, if you're in public school, you're you're blessed, you're provided one free attempt at the ACT provided by the state. And what that does is open the door to college readiness um, for students who wouldn't have taken it. Otherwise, it removes all the barriers, um, transportation, calculator, everything is taken care of for all students in this state get that attempt. And only uh, a handful, a dozen states uh, offer that, Some, maybe seven offer only the SAT. Yep. And some offer either or, uh, but when when you see this press about the ACT scores going down nationally, yeah. um, that all students all students in America aren't provided that opportunity. Uh, Mississippi provides it to all students. Well, if you think about it, that makes our average lower. If we're going to test everybody that's walking into a public school, our average is going to be lower. than... For example, Massachusetts—that is only the only attempts there are those that are college bound. Mm-hmm. So um, when when we look at how our state performed, our graduating class average, you would expect it to be significantly lower than the national average. Yeah, and it's it's within two points of the national average. So um, hmm. it, we're, right now, our graduating class average uh, last year was seventeen point six. A good a good comparison for us in Mississippi is our neighboring states, Alabama and Louisiana. They also provide the ACT to all students in public schools. Um, Alabama's doing the best job of it. Their, their average last year was 18. Uh, well, I'll take that back. Louisiana actually ticked up um, two-tenths of a point, so they're 18.2. Both of those states tackle it a little, a little bit differently. They, they put more emphasis on the ACT in their school accountability model. So for the school letter grade that you see in the newspaper of your local school, more of that is tied to college and career readiness in those states than it is in Mississippi. I will be darn. So. Well,
3: is, it, is there some talk in the state of Mississippi about uh, reforming the model?
1: There, I've heard that there is, and I've heard that, there, that change is coming, that there will be more emphasis on, on college and career readiness. I don't know if you're familiar with that WorkKeys uh a job skill assessment, but more, much more emphasis is being put on that uh, to get our emerging workforce more equipped for employment. Okay. And uh, I was at a conference recently. I heard that Geno Perkins from uh, from Nissan state to the entire audience that you don't work at Nissan at a job and an entry level position unless you score silver on the work keys. And so more and more employers are. Requiring it, or at least recommending that you you take the work keys um, along with your resume when you apply for uh, huh. employment, and it's a it's a great uh, job skill assessment. It gives the employer great insight into what your skill level is and what what job you might be best suited for. You might be looking to you know hire a person for a bookkeeper, but you see because of their work key scores, uh, they 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 might be much more qualified for the position you're considering. So, sure. It's a, it is a It is a great um, I think the state's on the right track to provide this for all students um, you know obviously uh, work workplace documents most kids in high school have never seen a workplace document so the same is true for ACT prep as it is for workies prep meaningful prep before you go in and take an exam will will improve your score and I don't think I'll get an argument from anybody out there about that fact this yeah. isn't tricks or gimmicky, this is meaningful review and practice of what you're about to be tested on. And if you've got the aptitude to accept that and, and uh, learn from that and, imp- and improve your score, then that you're demonstrating what an employer wants to see, yeah. that uh, you've got the ability to learn.
3: Well, it's good stuff. And uh, I also know just working some in economic development that um, that there, there are ways of assessing the sort of the workforce readiness of an area, a community,
1: yep. and I just wonder if this couldn't figure into that assessment as well. It will. Um, when you compare, uh, let's say a major manufacturer is choosing between our state, Alabama, and Louisiana for proximity reasons, they want to be here. If we can show a, 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 a more ready workforce uh, through this assessment, uh, we've got a higher skill level than our neighboring states. Uh, in the emerging or underemployed workforce that we have, then uh, the, we get the business. We get the we get the manufacturer. That's we right. The,
3: they, I know firsthand they do look at that yeah. big time, and they make their decisions accordingly. But appreciate you uh, staying with us a few minutes and and uh, adding that additional uh, color. That's that's pretty important to Thank know you about for that. What
1: How you that do, Gerard. I know you're after the right things, and as as are we. We want all students to perform their best on. Uh, on these assessments, because so much matters. Well, it
3: does, and it, it's key to uh, to scaling our economy and just in increasing uh, job opportunities and and attracting businesses and investment into the state and uh, boosting those household incomes and per capita incomes. And that's that's my goal. I think everything kind of stems from that. Appreciate it, Jay. Thanks for coming Thank on, man. Thank you much. Yep. All right, folks, so uh, I saw where, uh, Rhino, did you see this, where apparently Nikki Haley has received an endorsement from the Koch political behemoth, honestly, uh, opting to put their weight and money behind Ms. Haley, as opposed to, uh, of course, who's at the top of the heap there, Donald Trump. Now, I don't think the Koch brothers have ever been big fans of uh, of the Koch organization, I, sh- I should say now, of, uh, of Mr. Trump, but they're throwing their weight behind her and believe that she does have a path. I don't know if that uh, looks evident at this point, given that she trails the former president considerably. In the meantime, it's DeSantis who's going all-in on Iowa and got a big endorsement from uh, the governor, Kim Reynolds.
2: Which, doesn't he have a debate with Newsom coming up?
3: Thursday. Yeah. uh, Governor Ron DeSantis. This is going to be quite the spectacle, is it not? Governor Ron DeSantis of the great state of Florida and Governor Gavin Newsom, they will um, debate one another, and I guess the idea is to uh, sort of message to and and convey to uh, those in the audience that their style of government and their philosophy is the right one. I think both, of course we know Ron DeSantis aspires to be the president, he's a candidate, but let's be honest, Gavin Newsom is just waiting in the wings out there. Uh, to also uh, run for the presidency. So they're going to contrast. It, it's almost like a mini-future, perhaps, presidential debate, of general election debate, coming from completely different points of view, honestly, on almost everything, economic issues, social, cultural issues. Could there be a greater contrast than... Florida, and California, think about COVID, how both managed that ordeal. Completely different. Except one big difference was Gavin Newsom didn't adhere to his, his own policies, right, his own rules during the period. Uh, who could forget him f- being photographed famously at, uh, what was the name of that $500 a plate, high-end French restaurant there in the wine country. Was it French Laundry or something like that, as I
2: recall? Yeah, French Laundry.
3: Yeah. But uh, reportedly it's 500 bucks a plate to consume a meal there at this very exclusive restaurant. And he's there unmasked. Oh, the humanity. What do you mean without a mask? That was back when we were just masked nuts in this country. Uh, now we've learned. We even knew it back then. To a great extent, that was pretty much worthless. But uh, it'll be an interesting debate, I think.
2: I think it'll be the first time DeSantis's no-nonsense, more serious, forward-facing persona will curry him a little favor. I think it will because too, he's honestly. he's debating someone of an opposing ideology. Totally agree. Because when you put him up on stage with other conservatives and Republicans, he just comes across kind of sour and and a little fake when he tries to put on the smile. I don't know that we'll see too many fake smiles on the stage across from Newsom.
3: I I agree with you, and I do think that uh, they'll get after it. You know what I'm saying? I, I think you'll see criticism... By each one of them of the other. I mean strong criticism of the other. And there there'll be some uh, kind of tongue-in-cheek jokes and mockery, if you will, and ridicule. I really do think that. And but let's be honest, it's it is a spectacle and it is designed to be a spectacle. We're coming right back, folks, in the Element Well studio. Michael Watson at 1205 today. Stay with us. Everyone, it's middays. We are in the Element Well studio. It's Connerly Trophy Day, isn't it, Rhino? It is. Sports Talk Mississippi, where are they going to be? At the Jackson Country Club. That uh, presentation of the Seaspire Connerly Trophy that goes, of course, to this season's top college football player in Mississippi. That will occur tonight. So the Sports Talk uh, team is at the Country Club in Jackson. They'll be broadcasting their show there just in advance of the trophy presentation. Uh, That ought to be a good one. You'll hear, of course, from coaches, players, and past winners on today's show. Looking forward
2: to that. Any prediction for the Connolly Trophy?
3: You know, I don't. uh, I know Judkins from Ole Miss is among the nominees, as is uh, Sheegah from Delta State.
2: I think it's really tough not to give it to Shegog. I, I tend to agree with you. Just put I mean, up amazing numbers.
3: No doubt about it, and and more importantly, gosh, how valuable has he been to that program? Oh yeah. Uh, so and and we heard um, you know his coach last week, Coach Cooley, that we interviewed when we were up in uh, Cleveland at the at the Grammy Museum in Cleveland, which by the way is next door to Delta State. And he was certainly making a pitch for his player. I don't blame him. He should. And and so we'll see how all that works out. It's a pretty cool deal, though. Uh, certainly to be nominated is a big deal. Tim from Tupelo <laughs> sent us <laughs> sent us a little meme here, a little video, a, a gif, I guess. Desantis Newsom debate preview, and it's two boxers in a ring <laughs> going
2: <laughs> after is that it. The Rumble in the Jungle?
3: <laughs> Maybe so. I I tend to agree with you there. Tim Thomas in Greenwood says Koch brothers know that Trump won't be the nominee. Really? You think that? You think that's the case? Uh, Thomas, uh, at this point, I'm my money's on Trump being the nominee. It's, I mean, a lot of time, of course, but at, at this point, it's hard to imagine anyone else could emerge. The only way he's not the nominee is if something prevents him from. Being a candidate, if his candidacy is somehow terminated, I, I, I don't have any speculation as to what might cause that. I'm just saying that if he's the candidate, if he is a candidate, then he will prevail in the primary and go on to take on whoever the uh, Democrats nominate. Also, I've noticed that he's on the Obamacare train again. Is Mr. Trump over the weekend? He um, he threatened, is the way it's being reported, to reopen the fight on the Affordable Care Act. You remember there was a, an attempt to repeal it when he was in the White House. Although I got to point out, folks, it wasn't what was was widely perceived. It wasn't just. Total 100% repeal. The whole thing's gone, thrown in the trash. What it really was is what was called a kind of a skinny repeal, so to speak. And you remember famously John McCain who prevented that from happening. It was his single vote. Remember the famous thumbs down? So it wasn't what people think complete 100% total repeal. It was really some adjustments more than anything. And what he says, does Mr. Trump, is, uh, is that Obamacare is really bad coverage, I think is the terminology that he used, and that we're going to replace it with something better. And, yeah, he said the cost of Obamacare is out of, out of control, plus it's not good health care. I'm seriously looking at alternatives. Well, so this is what needs to be pointed out though. Anytime someone refers to the the coverage per se described as labeled as Obamacare, what they're talking about are the policies sold in the marketplaces. They're not talking about the entire wide-ranging full scope of the bill known as the Affordable Care Act, which got dubbed Obamacare because it was the signature law, honestly, passed under President Obama. What they're specifically talking about, in this case Mr. Trump, is the coverage sold by insurers in the exchanges, also called marketplaces. That's what they're talking about. Well. Last I checked, right now, only about 15 million people who have insurance in this country obtain it in the marketplaces. Now, it has been steadily increasing for a couple of reasons. One, the coverage has gotten better. Two, as we've pointed out countless times under the Inflation Reduction Act passed under Joe Biden, the adjustments to the subsidy model, which were way more generous, that occurred in uh, the American Rescue Plan, were made permanent in the uh, Inflation Reduction Act. And so it's the, the bottom line is it costs less. The cost of coverage is less in the wake of those adjustments made. But that's what he's talking about. The problem is most... In most of the states, the insurers, which have the greatest network, meaning providers who accept your card when you go to the doctor and they bill your insurer, you may have a little copay or out-of-pocket, some out-of-pocket cost, but in general... You don't have to pay for the entire cost of the service and then file it and wait for your insurance company to, uh, to reimburse you as you would if the provider doesn't accept that coverage. doesn't mean you can't get it reimbursed. It just means you're going to have to pay the provider when the services are rendered, file it, and then wait. But if you're in network, as it is called, you're typically going to get a better deal because the insurer has negotiated a, a lower cost for those various services, and they're going to file that insurance on your behalf and bill the insurer. You may have a copay, as we said, at the point of the services being rendered, and then after the insurance company pays them, you get billed for the the difference. You'll see the bills. I'm sure everybody listening is familiar with that. It says patience, responsibility. Well, What, what Mr. Trump wants to do is address the coverage sold in the exchanges. Uh, some Again, some $15 million. And these would be folks that have coverage in what's called the individual market as opposed to the group market. Group market is when you get your insurance from your employer. It's called group market. Usually your employer pays for some uh, of that and then you have uh, the employee has their share that they pay for it that would be the group market you obtain it through your employer but if your employer doesn't offer insurance or it is not affordable as defined in the affordable care act or you're self-employed which a lot of people in this country are you may go to the exchanges to buy your coverage but as is the case here, if you look at Blue Cross Blue Shield in the state of Mississippi, which uh, really dominates the commercial insurance market just in terms of the number of subscribers and also the number of providers have that have the most expansive provider network in the state. just means more hospitals, clinics, doctors, et cetera, accept their insurance and will bill on your behalf than the other carriers, but they do not sell their coverage in the exchanges. They're not compelled to do so, they're not required by law to do so, and so they've chosen not to. I don't know the reason for that. I've, I've never really uh, dug into that or talked to anybody at Blue Cross about, hey, why don't you sell your coverage in the exchanges? But they don't. So it's um, it's an interesting dynamic. I, I'm a little surprised Mr. Trump is, is bringing this up again. Um, you know, polls do show that nearly 7 in 10 Americans have a favorable opinion of the law that was um, enacted in 2010. 2010. It's hard to believe it's been 13 years now, uh, almost 14. It'll be 14 in March of 24. But polls show most people uh, do support it, and and a lot of people do really like the the insurance reforms. I wrote about this before the law was ever passed. Yeah, the reforms sound great. The problem is you're gonna pay for it. It's not like that the government's saying, Hey, insurance companies, you will not cancel anybody. You will cover regardless of pre existing conditions. Um, you you will limit out-of-pocket costs, and, and you will have not be able to implement lifetime or annual caps on the amount you will pay. Uh, you will cover wellness care, for example, at no charge. All that sounds great, but it costs money. You've talked about it before, and thus we've seen the premiums rise rather dramatically because they've got to cover all those additional costs that the government says. they got to provide plus the community rating, which just means that you can't charge more for sick people than you do healthy people to a limit. We're stepping aside for a break right now. Fox News, Super Talk News. Michael Watson's next.
0: You know what that means. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. We'll do it live. On Super Talk Mississippi. Woo!
3: Well, I got totally discombobulated in the last segment thinking it was the final of the hour, so I very much apologize for that. we got one more with you before we uh, turn to the news, and then Secretary of State Michael Watson at 12.05. We appreciate you joining us today. The Dow has crossed uh, beyond or lower than 100. At this point, it was 170 earlier on in the program. It's lost almost 100 points. Not really sure what's going on. I think the investors are honestly trying to figure it all out. There's uh, so much conflicting information. We see the 10-year yields rising, but inflation seems to be moderating. We've got uh, sort of mixed guidance. Uh, Guidance from uh, big companies reporting earnings. Not sure where all that's going. But uh, all that sort of adds up to, you got buyers and sellers (laughs) tugging away at it. It's a beautiful thing, in my view. It's what uh, makes our markets and and, uh, free market economics and capitalism so dang great. Love it. Got to keep it going. Very important.
2: Got a little something we haven't talked about that's a little closer to home, yeah. but uh, tonight and into tomorrow, unless you're on the Gulf Coast, the mercury's going to hit freezing. That's amazing. Would that be the first of the year for some parts of the state, huh? Oh, yeah. Wow. So, yeah, you got to remember the, what is it, the three or four P's, people, pet, pets, plants, and pipes. Yep. Get ready for
3: it. Well, I do recall... Last year, you remember, right up around Christmas, it was brutally cold. That's when we lost a lot of vegetation. And uh, it took its toll, no doubt about it. I think almost everybody listening, if you had any kind of, of uh, tender plants around your house, you lost them. I had some pitosporums that uh, were on the north side of my house that did not survive it. And, of course, they're borderline for this region anyhow. I just like them. They're kind of a low-profile. My map just rub. updated.
2: It's going to be the Gulf Coast and Greenville. Okay. Greenville's only getting to 33, according to the latest. Wow. Still, that's going to be cold tonight. Going
3: to be cold for sure. The uh, So get ready for it. Tennessee Governor Bill Lee is addressing something we have discussed quite a bit here on the program, and that is school choice. He said there's more work to do, but he is announcing a fairly aggressive proposal, and Arkansas Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders is going to join Governor Bill Lee of Tennessee. I believe it's later on today. Yeah, today. He's going to make an announcement from the capital of Tennessee in Nashville, the Education Freedom Scholarship Act, which his office says will, quote, extend school choice to every family across rural and urban Tennessee communities, putting parents at the forefront of their child's education and giving them all access to the best school for them. Remember that Governor Huckabee Sanders, right after she was inaugurated as governor of Arkansas, signed expansive... Uh, an expansive school choice voucher bill that was in March said it was a transformational education plan so uh, I'm also hearing that there is uh, quite an effort underway in our neighbor the state to our east our neighbor there Alabama also looking to enact some sort of school choice legislation we reported a couple of weeks ago That the big education bill that is used in Texas, and remember, their legislature meets every other year on a biennial basis, that uh, their big education bill had originally in it education savings account. That's the core of school choice from an economic financial perspective. And it was stripped. They couldn't get it through, even with uh, the Republican-controlled legislature. A disappointment to Governor Greg Abbott of Texas, for sure. I think they're going back to the drawing board on it. But this has been a uh, very much discussed topic here in the state of Mississippi. I have no doubt it will get attention once again uh, coming up right in the next session. And, you know, we get a lot of questions about it, and they're all good, valid questions. and, And certainly folks have a right to be concerned about anything so sweeping and complex. But the point that should be made is the legislature has the power to draft it however they see fit that could become law. That's the key. What could you incorporate in such a bill establishing education savings accounts that could garner the necessary votes? In the House, the Senate, and be signed into law by the governor. That's the, that's the goal, by uh, should be the goal of school choice advocates. I happen to be one of those. We just got to talk about it. Coming right back. This time it's Fox News Super Talk News and Secretary of State Michael Watson.
0: And now now. the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. That's what I like to listen.
3: Welcome back, everyone. It's middays. We're in Hour 3, the afternoon portion of the program, live from the Element Well studio. We welcome now Secretary of State Michael Watson. Mr. Secretary, good to see you, sir. You
4: as well. Always uh, always good to visit with you, Gerard. Appreciate what you do.
3: All right, man. Appreciate that. So today is uh, runoff day across Mississippi. All right. How many races do we have that advance to a runoff?
4: So we've we've got eight counties with uh, races today, runoff races, uh, Claiborne, Grenada, Hines, Montgomery, Pontotoc, Sharky, Sunflower, and Tate. And they range from school boards uh, to elections commissioners to uh, I think those are the only ones that are a mix of those in those counties. So that's that's the only eight we have runoffs in today.
3: Okay, so no legislative seats, Mr. Secretary?
4: No, sir. No, sir. That was all resolved
3: in the uh, in the big election. Election That's
4: Day. That's exactly right. Okay. Is that... As you and I talk about, these are really important, the local level yes. elections that impact your lives much more quickly than the federal level or the state level. So very important that folks
3: go out and have their voices heard today. I think you could uh, make a case that school boards may, may have uh, more of an impact, honestly, uh, on society than almost anything. You just watch across the country. Have you ever seen so much attention? Think about this. So many reports and video of proceedings at school board meetings. More in the last yeah. year or two than maybe in history up to that point.
4: Yeah, it's. it's uh, look, school boards are incredibly important. And I heard your segment there prior talking to about school choice. And uh, having good school boards who understand it's all about the students as opposed to the institution uh, is what's really important and making sure that you understand these folks can raise your taxes. Yeah. Uh, so making sure you've got a conservative minded individual in there who really is focused on the child above all else is really important. So I hope folks will pay attention today as well as the election commissioners. Yeah. You know, we've talked about that before. The job that, that falls on their shoulders, making sure we have clean voter rolls is, is of utmost importance to election integrity. And so making sure we have great commissioners who understand their jobs. Really important
3: as well. Yeah, that's absolutely a great point because, as, as you and I have discussed so many times, when you when you've got voter rolls that that uh, contain errors and just erroneous invalid information, uh, you're just opening up the door for uh, for anomalies. Uh, it, it it may not be uh, malicious in nature. It's just the fact that it's there opens the door up for errors.
4: That's exactly right. And it's, you and I talked about a bunch over the last four years. We started with uh, 43 counties of the 82, 90% are above. Um, so we've got that down to about 20 now, doing a lot of good work with our good. counties, making sure that they understand how important that is, but also educating Mississippians about whose job that is, who should I hold accountable to make sure my butter rolls are clean. So as we do that, you're going to continue to see that number fall. So we're really excited about that work.
3: Yeah. All right. So give, give us a bit of a, a um – I guess a conclusion, if you will, on some of the voting day anomalies in Hines County. What, Whatever shook out of that?
4: Yeah, so basically uh, what sounds, it is a simple mistake. Uh, It was unfortunately done on a a big day. So uh, you have split precincts that you and I have have discussed before, and in those split precincts typically you're going to have different ballot styles. So uh, a ballot style is, say, you live on one side of the street, I live on the other side of the street, uh, I am in one house district, and you are in the other house district. Yep. So that ballot style, though we voted the same precinct, we're going to have different people uh, for our house of representative election. So we're going to have a different ballot style for that, that shows who is different, who are the different candidates in our uh, precinct, but yep. also street lines, whatever the line is. So you've got a different ballot style that's going to have a different candidate on it. Well. In those split precincts what they did was say say in precinct a you need a 52 ballot style one and you need a 510 ballot style two Yep. well they flipped it ballot style one got 510 ballot style two got ah. 52 so then you're running out of ballots quickly i mean we got our first call around nine o'clock that morning so <laughs> uh, again a simple error and unfortunately that took place on a big day uh, that, that really uh, made a lot of folks upset because they had to wait and to come back Uh, And it shouldn't be that way. So we're going to continue to work with them and make sure they have all the resources they need Uh, from our office. Look, we do the trainings. uh, We make sure that we're on call when they have questions. We we help them understand what the law says. Uh, But at the end of the day, that that burden falls on their shoulders.
3: Well, I I appreciate you clarifying that because that's the first such explanation I've heard, which sounds Totally more valid than all the other wild stories, of course, that were circulating. You would remember them well uh, that day, and I know your office was inundated uh, with them and your staff was having to fill those and deal with it, but that, that makes total sense there. And again, I think it goes to the point I was making a minute ago is that that, that wasn't some sort of intentional malice. Uh, That was just a a mistake, and it's a mistake that could easily be made with the split precincts. I happen to vote at one of those, and you can tell because, as you're well aware, when you you present your ID, um, and the person checks you off and makes sure you're supposed to be there, and they'll inform the person who hands you the ballot, they need ballot X. Instead of just having one stack of the same ballot where that's not even a question, they just hand you one, they inform the person, this is the one you need, and I always check it, make sure that matches what they said I need, and and I know based on the candidates anyhow, but that's what happens.
4: You know, and, Gerard, that's the other piece of what I'm really proud and, and, and thankful for, that we've got a group that goes out and educates Mississippians to understand those uh, slight, you know, differences. In, in, and this one comes on the heels of redistricting. So, uh, you know, to their defense, in, in, a, in a slight way, uh, they had some new lines that they were dealing with. Uh, now, granted, that information was in Sims, the statewide election management system, and a mistake was made. But, again, you had redistricting. You got these split precincts. And uh, there was just a simple error that turned into basically a big mistake yeah. uh, on a big day. So uh, I hate that that happened. And again, we're going to do our best to continue to make sure they've
3: got all that they need. Well, the most important thing was anybody as a result of that denied the right to cast a ballot.
4: We've not heard that. Now, I'll tell you, I heard some stories. As a matter of fact, I had a guy reach out to me and he said, look, I've already been to my precinct twice both times they said they, they did not have ballots I don't know that I have time to go back what's what's your suggestion yeah and I said buddy I'm gonna tell you get in line by 645 and don't leave until they get you a ballot that's yeah. all I can say yeah so I'm sure you had people that were really upset about it and uh, maybe they didn't come back I don't know that to be true uh, but I assume maybe that happened from time to time but again that, that's just guessing. That's, well, that's I no feel facts.
3: like if that were the case, and it was certainly if it were widespread, your office would have been flooded with calls and reports of that. And I don't think that was the case. No, I
4: agree. So. And we spent some good time on the phone with attorneys and, and others. <laughs> that I know. Day, I so.
3: remember. You and know I, I were texting. Right. It, uh, it was real time. I mean, it was, it was a live wire for a few hours there, but uh, I know you mobilized your team and, and uh, dispatched them out. Uh, to the precincts, to the locations, to make sure everything got back to, to order. And uh, it's an un- unfortunate thing, and, and my guess is that perhaps they'll put some safeguards in place down at the, at the precinct level, at the, at the district level, to just ensure somebody looks over their shoulder and make sure, yeah, you got this right, before they carry them out to the, to the, um, the voting places, right?
4: That's exactly right. And we're looking at you know what can we do to help them even more with their job if that's something that we can do within the statewide management system, but also within the bounds of the law. Yeah. The, the authority that we're granted by the legislature, we're not going to, you know, yeah. outside of what we we can do, we're not going to do anything else. So making sure that we can do what we uh, are you know, granted the authority to do is what we plan to do. But uh, that said, again, at the end of the day, it's all about having a great team. And uh, I want to say a big thanks to Kyle Kirkpatrick and our crew here at the office who, like you said, were out in the precincts making sure that we answered questions real time. And uh, I appreciate all the work that our, our crew did. And it takes that team of clerks, commissioners, and the Secretary of State's office, and we've really tried to dr- drive that point home uh, with clerks and, and commissioners all around the state.
3: Yeah. Before we go, uh, what, what uh, are you looking to the legislature for? we got a couple of minutes left in the next session. Anything you need from a Secretary of State perspective?
4: So we're talking about campaign finance reform. It's, it's going to be a really big piece that we work on. Uh, happy to come in and kind of walk through that with you on another show. Yeah, uh, but that's going to be a, a big centerpiece of our ask. Uh, we're also looking at some of our our systems now uh, that they're really getting old and, and aging out, as you well know, in the IT world. Uh, you got to continue to update and upgrade. So uh, that's going to be something we look at on the uh, appropriation side. And uh, we've got a few other things we're working on, again, the the regulatory cuts uh, that we've been successful with, continuing to push that narrative across the street. And uh, anything that's good for Mississippi is going to be something that we support. Obviously, uh, you know, I was talking about uh, parental choice in education before it was cool. Uh, So that's that's going to be something we continue to support as well.
3: I remember it well in the Senate. You were a champion for it. And uh, I hope we can get something done there. I've... You know, I've I've kind of told folks, uh, those of us that are in the school choice camp, Mr. Secretary, we I think we need to start focusing on what it's not, what it's not as much as what it is, because you know the thing gets a fit turns into a fish and tells like no 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 that's that's not how any well designed plan would work so. We're going to keep working on that. We appreciate all your efforts and uh, those of your staff. And let's have a good uh, runoff day. What'd you say? Eight, eight elections right now underway? Eight
4: counties right now. And look, if anybody's got questions out there? 1 800 829 6786 is our hotline. Uh, so we're happy to help answer any questions you may have.
3: Perfect. Appreciate it. Talk to you soon, Mr. Secretary. Thank you. Thank you, Rush. See you next time. <laughs> See you, buddy.
0: Days with Gerard Gibbett. Come on, let's get on with the show. Yay. On Super Talk Mississippi.
2: Two, three, four. I'm a
0: streetwalking cheater with a heart full of napalm.
3: We are back in the Element Well Studio. It's midday's. Are you thinking about or planning for a retirement? Do you have a plan? Go to MyElementWealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income growth and guarantees. The C Spire text line 601-879-4395. Don't forget the Sports Talk team is going to be at the Country Club of Jackson today, and that's because the Connerly Trophy the C Spire Connerly Trophy, will be presented to the season's top college football player. You know, yesterday we had Congressman Michael Guest on the program. We were talking about Representative George Santos from the Empire State of New York, who's just been a fraud from day one, honestly. And it looks like he's been engaged in a little bit of campaign finance malfeasance. And uh, he's broken the law. That's what he's done. Federal campaign law. And Congressman Guest, serving as the chair of the House Ethics Committee, launched an an investigation into his abuse of those monies, and found out that, yeah, he misused it. And so he is uh, looking to expel the congressman does require two-thirds vote of the chamber. What did Congressman Guest say yesterday, Rhino? He would be the sixth or the seventh? It's single digits in our history to uh, be expelled from the body. Okay, so, and, and we pointed out because we often get accused, which is fine, honestly, that, hey, we only point out the misdeeds and the various uh, turmoil (laughs) and controversy uh, related to left and Democrat politicos. But yesterday, we did discuss this story. I think Mr. Santos is a disgrace. And I'm embarrassed that he's in the U.S. House of Representatives And it's not just one or two little things. It's a series going back from his fabrication of his professional life. Just everything about him is just a fraud. Well, okay, so today we need to share with you a story you've probably already seen, Mississippi's Representative Earl Banks. He got probation on tax conviction, but he intends to remain in office. Now, he's been, in the, he's been in the House a long time, 93, since 93. He's 69. He's a funeral director. He's also an attorney. He pled guilty this past May. He admitted failing to report more than $500,000 of income. Now, it was capital gain. It was sale of real estate. Doesn't matter. He still got to pay taxes on it. It's at a lower rate because it is a capital gain. But he failed to report it. That's tax fraud. So he's he's paid some restitution, just under $85,000 of it. He could have faced up to three years in prison for his guilty plea. But he says he's, uh, he's going to stay in office and go for it again. He's been there 30 years. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. But you, um, you ought to step down, honestly. You, you committed pretty serious criminal offense and willfully made a false statement on a tax return. Isn't that what the whole deal up there in New York is about regarding Donald Trump, essentially falsifying business records, financial records, overvaluing assets? Same sort of orbit there. I would say. And that gets national attention on a daily basis. Now I get it. He's a he's a former president and we're talking about much bigger dollars, but
2: still those much bigger dollars were in the format of loans that were paid back. Correct. This and is dealing with taxes and the IRS. Correct. And
3: insurers and bonding companies who accepted those valuations and who got paid their premiums. Their bonds and so forth. there. I can't find a damaged party, but in New York, we've talked about that. It is very complicated. Uh, it, if you sort of exaggerate uh, financial valuations like that, even if no one is harmed, it it still be con- could can be considered a crime. It's bizarre to me. And typically, when you're, you're dealing with Economic matters. There needs to be some damaged party. Did they have some economic damages? Did the bank get stiffed? Did the insurance companies get stiffed? Did anybody else lose money on these alleged overstatements of value? There's no such record of any of that. And that point's been made countless times. And I still scratch my head on, well, The banks never came out and said, Hey, Mr. Trump, we don't buy your valuation. In fact, I've never known any bank to give anybody a dime on a piece of real estate without having a separate third-party appraisal. Like you would on a standard residence. You ain't getting a mortgage loan without an appraisal. And you're paying for the appraisal, by the way. So... I scratch my head on that. It's a bit of a double standard. I accept that it's different states and there's different laws. But this is a federal matter with respect to representative banks, because this does concern his, his federal income tax return.
2: We were uh, speaking... I double-checked, and the number of Congress people who have been expelled, not counting the... how many of it... Twenty, No, 17 were expelled for support of the Confederate states in 1861 and 1862. Expelled for crimes committed and convicted of. Okay. You have three, so Santos would be the fourth. Okay. Latest of which was Jim Trafficant in 2002. I remember him. He's the one that had the weird hairdo. Ten counts, including bribery, racketeering, and tax evasion. That's right. From Ohio, was he, I think? Yes. Trafkin? yeah. I remember that guy. Hadn't heard that name in
3: forever. Once thought to be a possible candidate for president. Interesting. Okay. So Santos, I applaud. Congressman Guest, I think he's doing the right thing. He's got to. I mean, why have an ethics committee responsible for maintaining ethics in the body if when someone violates... The law, with respect to campaign finance, you don't investigate and then punish in accordance with the law. So I I think it's the right thing to do. So we were talking about Donald Trump wanting to make some adjustments to Obamacare. He said it's bad health (laughs) care. Liz Warren is... um, there's just so many conflicts in liberalism, and this is, a, a, I think, a stark example of that. You know, she rails all the time about concentration of corporate power, lack of competition, and that results in higher prices to consumers. It's corporate greed! Too much concentration! Well...
2: Now she's taking on Big Sandwich.
3: I saw that! She's worried about sandwich shop monopoly. We'll get to that in a minute. But on health care. So one of the things that the Affordable Care Act did is it imposed uh, caps essentially on profits. It's called the medical loss ratio. And what it really says is to a, to insurance companies 80 to 85% of the dollars you take in in the form of premiums, you must pay out as claims. And if you don't in any given year, you've got to send rebate checks out to all of your subscribers, all of those who have your coverage. And billions has been paid out in years where the insurers didn't meet that, that threshold, that standard. Well you're essentially from Washington interfering in the market to the point where you're you're regulating profit now if you're a you're an insured if you're one of those who pays premiums you may applaud this and say well great that means the insurance companies uh... can't charge more than they pay out plus twenty percent and uh... i'm gonna benefit from that But in fact, just the opposite. Remember what Ronald Reagan said? The nine most terrifying words from the government, uh, uh, in the English language, pardon me, are that I'm from the government and I'm here to help. And that's what this is, and I'll explain it on the other side of the break, what the exact unintended consequences were. And it's costing all of us.
0: up this program gerard gibbert here we go this is huge huge, huge news huge, huge huge news huge you need to listen to this middays with gerard super talk mississippi
3: Super Tramp, Breakfast in America, the album, I remember it well, 77, 78, something like that. The... I like the logical song. That's a good cut. <laughs> Who would ever come up with those lyrics? pretty cool. We are back. We're in the Element Well studio once again. So, oh, on the C-SPIRE text line, come on, a lot of them are crap. He ticked someone off and got made an example of. I guess we're talking about Santos or Earl Banks. I'm not really sure, because we discussed both. Which one? The person goes on to say, I'm not a dumb redneck, sir. You actually think the majority of politicians are not owned or less than upstanding citizens. I have grave opinions about you. (laughs) Okay. I. I have never said anything um, either affirming or denying such. I don't think I've ever made any blanket statements about politicians being owned or not. I don't even know what that means exactly. What does that mean? How do you own someone?
0: Uh,
3: um, is this person just aggrieved because it was Mr. Santos or Mr. Banks? Let us know. We'll check back. I'm just reporting what's actually going on there. Those are Those are uh, valid uh, situations. Not making anything up, not speculating. It's uh, what's actually taking place. I was talking about Liz Warren, of course she, a proponent, as we're all Democrats of the Affordable Care Act, AKA Obamacare. But she's one that rails on consolidation and concentration and monopolies. And you just pointed out, now she's all upset that Subway is uh, looking to sell the family-owned business, started by a family, to a private equity firm that also owns some other sandwich shops. She's worried about how that might impact competition. These people really don't know how all that stuff works. I swear they don't. They just don't. Uh, At some point, when do you come to the realization where, hey, you know, you don't have to eat a sandwich. You can buy something else. Nobody's putting a gun to your head saying, you'll go buy from one of these sandwich shops owned by this private equity firm. It's just unbelievable. There's complete lack of understanding of market reality. Of course, she doesn't want to. She wants to be the all-powerful authoritarian of the $23 trillion economy. Well, with respect to the Affordable Care Act, which is anything but, nothing spurred industry consolidation in health care more than the Affordable Care Act. And again, When you think about this medical loss ratio, they really thought they had them there, Rhino. We'll get those insurance companies, 80 to 85 percent of everything you're taking in, you're paying out. Except, as is almost always the case, these private companies are smart. Quite honestly, health insurance is really not a very profitable business. You look at the top five insurers in this country that write the coverage for 85% of commercial health care insurance in this country, their total profit combined for a year is less than two quarters of apples. They really don't make a lot. And I'm not defending insurance companies here, I'm just sharing with you the financial facts. But so they're, they seek to try to overcome this medical loss ratio imposed on them by the federal government. And guess what they do? They acquire pharmacy benefit managers, specialty pharmacies, healthcare care providers. They get into all sorts of other lines of businesses that are complementary so that they they then own the supply chain—it's called vertical integration. That's exactly what Liz Warren gets all bent out of shape about on a daily basis. And it was that law that spurred such vertical integration in healthcare. They get you coming and going, so to speak. Can't make money over here? Okay, we'll make it over there. Unbelievable. United Health, Cigna. Two of the biggest, uh, a- uh, Aetna, three of the top five insurers in the country, they they're each have affiliations with huge pharmacy benefit managers, which aren't regulated in the same way. It's a way to produce the profit that they seek. That's what companies do. They seek profit. In a market. So it's your laws. That's what they don't get. It it really does prove that Ronald Reagan was right. I'm from the government. I'm here to help. Or the nine most terrifying words in the English language. That's exactly what happened here. The concept, of course, is somewhat has merit. Hey, guys, you're going to have, because it's a regulated industry, you're going to have to pay out a certain amount of what you take in. You just do. Okay, but. Nobody really accounted for the fact that these are really smart folks, and they got around it, so to speak, in a legal way. And now we all pay for it. So I don't know what this person's talking What is he talking about? I'm still asking, are, are you upset about uh, my report on Representative Earl Banks in Mississippi? or Congressman George Santos in the U.S. House. Well, what's what's your issue here? That's to someone on the c tax line. But th- this really does, I think, prove that when the government meddles, it usually causes more problems than it does benefits. And now her big deal today, Rhino, is she's she's on the health care de- kick. Uh... Across this country, parents are struggling to find the child care they need. Senate Democrats are united. We must pass emergency funding to save our child care system from collapsing. We can't afford to wait. So, And, I, and I'm certainly not making light of the fact that I know child care is a problem for working parents. Availability of it is, cost of it is, quality is, I, I know. And I, I was once in those shoes raising my own children, both my wife and I working. It, it's tough. It's expensive, and it's hard to find folks you trust that will take care of your kids. I'm not making light of that. The question is, it's always, always seems from the Democrat perspective, oh, well, the solution is just more funding. Just throw more money at it. That'll fix it. Well, how do you know that? I mean, if, has anybody really done a, a thorough review of what the core problems are before we just assume that? Oh well, the Senate Democrats—we got the right idea here. We're just going to write more checks. We're broke and getting broker. When do we stop that, man? Oh man! Uh, but that's. Always seems to be the case, does it not? Larry Amaya says it seems like it's always Hines County with the voting problems. i got to tell you, though, Larry, it's been a while since I've heard of any kind of significant voting irregularities in our state. I think overall our state does a pretty good job at that. And, and it, it should be noted again, as the secretary points out, uh, this is managed at the local level this is the voting process and it's under the purview of the Secretary of State from a statutory perspective. It's their job to ensure that the laws are being carried out and followed, but as far as the people who who conduct the elections, that's done at the local level. It's As Mr. Secretary Watson said, it's the elections commissioners that we put in office and it's poll workers and so forth that who are Voluntary, maybe get a little little money. I think, Rhino, like twenty-five bucks a day or something nominal for their service. But it uh, and it, it sometimes can be confusing. It, where we have to be concerned, Larry, is, is I know you you are, is when there's when there's uh, misdeed and there's something nefarious going on. I share your concerns. We don't want that, and anybody involved in that. It's, it's got to be held accountable. I totally agree. And I believe the Secretary does too. And and, and I, I think, uh, again, it's incumbent upon the voters to put in office qualified, capable, honest elections commissioners to make sure all of this uh, runs as it is intended and then we get fair, true, valid elections. But we're stepping aside for a break. The final segment of middays on this Tuesday in the last week of November is coming up next.
0: Gerard Gibbert.
3: Welcome back, everyone. It's middays, Super Talk, Mississippi. William and Brandon asked who's moderating Thursday evening's debate featuring Governor Gavin Newsom of California and uh, Ron DeSantis, the governor, also presidential candidate, governor of Florida. It's Sean Hannity who will be handling the moderating duties there. That should really be something. The New York, uh, pardon me, the Atlantic. I believe that's published in New York. You think it's fair to say it's a left leaning publication? Article entitled Why America Abandoned the Greatest Economy in History. Wow. And what they're referring to is probably not what it seems. They're referring to how Ronald Reagan really messed everything up. He, <laughs> he pared back government, slashed taxes on the rich and corporations. He gutted business regulations and antitrust enfo- enforcement. And that caused inequality to soar while living standards stagnated and life expectancy fell behind that of peer countries. It wasn't cause of that, you fools. That's not why life expectancies fell in this country relative to Norway and the UK. And they talk about how, in the article, how children had a better chance of out-earning their parents than those born in the U.S. It has nothing to do with those policies, those conservative economic policies. But I'll touch on this some more tomorrow. It's a fascinating article. In the Atlantic. Kind of interesting. More government meddling the Biden administration. Though they say, of course, the Democrats, the liberals in this country, there's no war on Christians. No, no. That's just right-wing conspiracy theories. Nineteen GOP attorney generals have warned that a new rule being issued by the Department of Health and Human Services, the U.S. Health and Human Services, would make it extremely difficult, if not impossible, for Christians to serve as foster parents. And it's because, once again, just like we've said, Rhino, the Democrat Party is completely beholden to gender, climate, and race It's about gender. They want to make sure that um, if they come into your home, if children are placed in your home, that you're going to refer to them by their preferred pronouns, not their pronouns that correspond with their actual gender, their sex assigned at birth, based on, oh, I don't know, their anatomy, simple stuff like that, and their DNA. This is sad. In a time when we need people to serve as foster parents, of course, this party has to inject this gender ideology stuff in there. Just how often does that even come up when you're trying to play? Are they worried about pronouns or Not getting beat by somebody, abused physically. How about eating, having a roof over their head? Some reasonable stability as a child. And we're worried about pronouns? Unbelievable. In other news with respect to the war on Christianity, which of course doesn't exist, that's just a ruse, you probably heard the story already, but if you hadn't, the Satanic Temple of Wisconsin they sort of crashed the Christmas tree festival in a Wisconsin town by including a satanic Christmas tree. I guess you can't call it a Christmas tree. It's just a satanic tree. So these worshippers... They're non
2: theistic. I think I said that right. And the group They're I, oxymoronic at that point. <laughs> exactly. The group Are you worshiping Satan or not? Both, I, mean, I agree. And I'm looking Or are you at just it. trying to be edgy for attention? Because uh, mommy didn't hug you and Daddy never told <laughs> you I love you.
3: The museum where these Christmas trees are displayed, which includes the satanic tree, was allowed by the CEO of the museum, said there was no hesitation. We're not a religious organization. We focus on trains. It's a train museum. But it's a Christmas tree that they mocked with this tree in the shape of a typical conical Christmas tree. But it's got ornaments such as Hail Santa. In an apparent cheeky nod to Hail Satan. It's incredible. We're out of here today, folks. Thanks for joining us. Back with you again tomorrow. Until then, stay safe and God bless.
0: A Super Talk Mississippi media production.